You are listening to Fantasy Film Ball with Matt and Dylan, and on this show, we turn movies into sports and look at all the Oscar prospects and their fantasy value. I believe that this is going to win Best Picture, and here's why. I mean, Denis Villeneuve got all the nominations he needed for Dune and still missed out on the Best Director slot. Don't let me get my hopes up. The Academy has disappointed me too many times. Thank you to the Academy. Thank you to all of you in this room. I can't remember the last time I walked out of a movie theater on such a high. No matter how certain it seems, anything can happen on nominations morning. Never count the Golden Globes for just doing something off the walls and bonkers. It's the kind of movie that reminds me of why I fell in love with movies. And the Oscar goes to... Welcome into episode 13 of Fancy Film Ball. My name is Dill. And my name's Matt, and this is a show where we turn movies into sports and sports into something that we don't talk about here. And this week we have a hell of a big week. Venice Film Festival's going on right now. Telluride just announced their lineup, and TIFF is next week. Uh, things are happening. Things are moving. And last week, I don't know if you caught it, but we released our film ball draft for the year. So if you have not yet caught it, make sure you go back and watch that episode. What are you doing? We got the film drunk. We got Brother Bro. We got the two of us. We got two others. Go back, check it out. Uh, and if you have checked it out, thank you for watching. Uh, but yeah, this week is crazy. A lot has happened this week. A lot. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, God. We're going to get into all of that, um, but before we do, we're going to start this week with a question, as we always do, uh, and, you know, this week, I'm taking a little bit of inspiration from Brother Bro, since Brother Bros joined our cinematic universe, our podcast universe. Uh, every Oscar expert video mm -hmm. always ends with, like, a weird-ass question, uh, and because today we're going to be talking about one specific bank robbery film, um, I wanted to kind of toss it back to a question that I feel like Brother Bro would ask. Uh, so we're going to be talking a little bit later about the film Breaking, uh, in which the main character robs a bank for $892. So, Dylan, what's the amount of money that you'd rob a bank for? So after yesterday, the amount I would rob a bank for is $1,323 because that is the amount I have to pay my travel agent to go to Universal for Halloween Horror Nights. Ooh, oddly specific. I like it. I mean, in the movie, he had a specific number. He just wanted the money back for how much. And, you know, here, doing the same thing. I just want my money back for my trip. That's the best kind of specific, honestly. Now, I, I mean, being Canadian, I now have to kind of do a conversion in my head. Uh, because I have to think, obviously, I'm going to say in American dollars, but that means I'm going to have to think 1.29 conversion rate. Um, and the answer is, uh, nice try, FBI. Uh, I'm not answering your question, but probably, me. like, mm, stick a gum, 40 bucks, uh, give or take. I don't know. Really, I'm not, I'm not picky. I'll, I'll do it for anything. But not really. Not really. This is all FBI. If you're watching, mm -mm, I didn't say anything. FBI, good try, nice one. Well, <laughs> the FBI is going to be coming for me because I have a lot going against me this week, including me just admitting that I would steal one point three k. Yeah, that's that's awful. I mean, uh, actually, Dill, I don't know. Uh, I should probably tell you this right now. Uh, I've been undercover with the FBI, and uh, you're under arrest. So, uh, good job. 
Anyways, though, uh, we're going to get into uh, Film Ball, and we have our first team update of the year. Because through the year, now that we've got our teams, we're going to be keeping you guys updated with how the points are shaking out, how the teams are looking. You've seen us draft our teams, now you're going to see who is going to win, okay? So, this week, uh, there's not many points, because there haven't been any awards, and most films haven't come out yet. So, let's just talk. Uh... How are you feeling about your team, Dylan? You know, I say that knowing that you're probably not feeling great today. You know, there's a lot of things going on right now with my team. Let's let's just run over my team as a okay. whole. Okay, uh, can, can we just say, as we're recording this, this is the day that Bardo, False Chronicle of a Handful of Truths, premiered at Venice. We're recording it like five hours after reactions dropped. So how are you feeling, Dylan? Well, let me pull up a page real quick to give my exact thoughts of how I'm feeling. You know, I'm feeling a 53, and that is Bardo's Metacritic score at this very moment at 9.46 p.m. 53 for my first round pick. You know, it yep, could be worse. That was your ringer. It could be worse, but... It could be worse, and it still can be because there's only 10 reviews. Yes, that's true, but looking on the bright side here... I know this may be a lot of a bit of a hot take with people like in our community and um, specifically some people who really like this category, but I think international looks kind of weak this year, and I think a movie that is getting weaker critical reviews like Bardo that has just the push that it has behind it is going to be okay. I feel like this movie is going to get the push that we all thought it's going to get the push. It may not be a best picture winner contender, but I still feel like this could definitely be a ten slot for picture. I don't think director's a chance now, but I think uh, picture's a chance. I still think cinematography has a chance to win. Editing can come in there. Screenplay, I still think, may have a shot. I mean, I've heard some things about the screenplay, but sometimes that can that can help a movie just have its awareness up. And I still think this is the front runner, pretty head and shoulders above the rest of the competition at International. Uh, I disagree. I mean... I, I agree with some of what you're saying. I still think it has a big shot in international. I still think it has a run. At, you know, I'm not taking it out of my top 20 in picture yet because this is so early. Uh, I know it's not in my top 10. But with international, yes, it's a weak year. But I still think even in a weak year, I don't think it can win. Uh, I think that there's going to be other films that people like more. Yes, this has the visibility to make it into the top five. But uh, I think that having that visibility might also hurt it because people are going to know I've seen that film. I don't like it. So, I don't know. I, I do think it has a shot of winning cinematography still. I'm not going to take it out of cinematography. It looks beautiful. But oof. 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 Um, oof. Big oof. Uh, and that was your first round pick, man. That's... Uh, so, I mean, we got to talk about the obvious thing, which is uh, you picked that. I mean, let's, let's go over what happened. I picked everything ever all at once. Arno picked Women Talking. Austin picked Babylon, which was the obvious choice, really. You picked Bardo. Now, you could have picked The Fablemans. How are you feeling? See, um, we talked about on the, the show during the draft, but um, Austin had proposed a trade for me. He would be trading me pick three for my pick four, and then I would be giving him my second round pick in exchange for his. So we were flip-flopping first and second round picks. And originally, I didn't really want to do that because I figured that the two movies that I wanted most would go one and two. And they didn't. So I really kind of wanted in that moment to hit up Austin and be like, hey, my number one movie's on the board. I'll do this trade to get Babylon. 
I kind of mentioned a little bit during the episode, but it wasn't really taken that much seriously because, I mean, he saw he had Babylon on the board. He's not going to pass a Babylon. And uh, what happened happened. Yes, I passed upon Fablements, but I don't know. I've heard some things about Fablements not being that great either. It could just be hearsay while Birdo is actually coming through not being as good as people thought it would. But I still feel like Bardo has... It's not, I don't think it's a complete waste of a first round pick, like maybe something like House of Gucci ended up being last year. I still think Bardo has a higher ceiling than that. The thing is, it has team, worse reviews than that. It, it does, it does. But the thing with my team is, <laughs> I went all for it this year. I think eight of my 10 movies are swing for the fence movies. And I have two movies that are just kind of like there. And I feel like I have the opportunity to have a whiff with one of these picks. If two, if three, if four of the other ones hit their ceiling. Because yes, Bardo is not looking good at the gate. But Avatar is still there to save the day in round two. Elvis could still do what we think it's going to do in round three. I Want to Dance with Bardo could be the contender that you and I think it's going to be. Not like the rest of our drafted. We were the only two people on that island that really thought Naimiaki in this movie really had a shot. And then after that, we had the Batman. We had another international player with All Quiet on the Western Front. Which, I mean, if Bardo's as bad as it's seeming... Netflix could just switch its gears and be like, okay, that attention we're going to give Bardo, we're giving it to All Quiet on the Western Front. And that could be the international contender with text, with sound, with editing, with cinematography, maybe a picture, maybe a supporting actor for Daniel Brühl. And then one pick I'm feeling better and better about every day is The Inspection. This is a movie that's getting a lot of buzz before it comes out. Yes, it's by a director that we don't really know much about. But this just seems like a movie that has that passion, that it could be one of those very small contenders that goes the whole season. It may not be a Best Picture winner, but I can see this movie sneaking into a field of 10, getting a screenplay nomination, getting an actor for supporting or for lead, and being a really big, smaller, like indie-type player. And then, yes, I have the big swing of Blonde, which, I mean, we've seen crazier things happen. And then all that breeze We're going to see reviews soon. Exactly. I mean, by the time this episode's out, we will know the reviews of Blonde. So I would either sound really dumb or really smart in this moment. Probably dumb based off of uh, what a lot of people in our draft thought. But, you know, I really liked my team last week. And I'm not going to let the first 10 reviews of Bardo tank it. Because last year, I mean, it wasn't to this negative level. But Power of the Dog didn't start off as hot as it ended up being. A lot of people were not high on that movie. But then after it got screened a little bit more, it started to rise up. Will Bardo be Power of the Dog? Probably not. But it may not be as bad as it seemed at this moment. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think uh, I'm still going to love Bardo. Um, maybe, actually, as I read more about it, I'm like, ooh, I don't know if I am. But, you know, I kind of, I tend to like uh, controversial movies. I You know, something, people saying something's bad never stops me. So, you know, I am still excited is what I'll say, but it is not looking good for Oscars. Uh, now, in terms of my team, I know last week, uh, during the draft, I was kind of having a bit of a crisis because I was like, oh my god, did I really just pick uh, a team where there's going to be one, um, only one? Uh, am I really going to pick a team where there's only going to be one Best Picture nominee? And looking at it this week, I'm feeling a lot better especially because Tar Reviews came out, that was my second pick, and they are pretty stellar. Uh, now, it still could be Spencer. Gotta remember, Spencer debuted at a 95 on Metacritic, as did Tar. It could drop down, but like, mm, I'm, uh, you know what, I'm gonna ride the wave of hype. And looking at my team, the more I look at it, the more I'm like, I didn't waste a single pick on the bottom half of my team. Uh, I really feel strongly that films like Amsterdam, Bros, 
Living, uh, Descendant, Pinocchio. I really think that all of those films have a chance to pick up steam. I think that there is a world where every single film on my team has over 100 points. Am I going to win? I still don't think so, but I'm feeling a little bit better about my team this week than I was last week right after the draft. I mean, I still think your team's a lot better than what you were giving credit for. Just one more thing I want to mention about my team before we move away from it. There's a reviewer out there by the name of Carlos. He gave Bardo 100 on Metacritic. So that is my new favorite critic of the year. But Let's go, Carlos. But, I mean, looking at your team, I still think Living's a very solid pick for where you got it. Pinocchio has that big Dude. risk, yeah. uh, uh, big failure-type pick right there. But, I mean, my team's filled with those. So you can't be mad about having a movie like that. And Amsterdam Bros, same thing. They could be nothing. They could be a lot. We really don't know at this point. And... Like we mentioned during the draft last week, if we would have drafted a day to a day or two a week later, the draft would be really different because Bardo would not be a first round pick anymore. Uh, the inspection would probably go in like the fifth round, and other movies would be going up and down throughout the, the whole draft. So, I still think it's anyone's game at this moment. No one's out. No one's got it in the bag. And these next four or five months are going to be a, a a ride just to see who ends up coming out on top and who is in the gutter at the bottom. Absolutely. So we're going to do a quick uh, points breakdown right here. So right now in first place, we've got Arno. Arno has 413 points with a boost from Happening, which has over 180 points already from last year's Venice and BAFTAs. Um, It still can get more because it's eligible for Oscars this year. Plus, uh, he has Nope and Large Points Halls from Nanny, which got 50 points out of Sundance, and Triangle of Sadness, which also got 50 points out of Cannes. So Arno is far in the lead. Uh, After that, we have Film Drunk in second place with 323 points. Now, he is brought up by having three films that have been released. Most other people do not have three films that have been released, but he has Turning Red, Fire of Love, and Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. No awards, just film releases. In third place, we've got Dylan, Adam Boy, uh, with 260 points. Now, that is basically entirely from Elvis and Batman. Now, Batman especially has great box office and has broken about 110 points so far. Plus, Broker and All That Breathes both have small awards halls, which has boosted you a little bit more as well. Then we've got in fourth place, Brother Bro at 248 points. Now, Brother Bro is being boosted up by two movies again, Top Gun Maverick, which also has great box office points and about 120 uh, points total right now, and RRR, which has about 100 points at the moment, as well as one award for close. Then in fifth place, we've got me, uh, Maddie, with... 212 points, and that's entirely from Everything Everywhere All at Once and Cha-Cha Real Smooth. Last place, we've got Tandem, Austin, who has 123 points, which is all from 13 Lives and a little bit from Holy Spider. Now, I gotta say, at this point, you want to be in last place, because there's still so many things shifting around, and there's a lot of great films that we didn't get, which are going to come up in the waiver rounds at the beginning of October. So, right now, looking at uh, waiver spots and what's coming out in September, what's going to put us in that waiver position in October, because the way that waivers work, it's based on a reverse point system. So whoever's in last place gets the first waiver pick. And so right now I project that either Austin, Brother Bro, or you, Dylan, will get first pick in those waiver drafts. I mean, my goal was to get the first pick. I didn't pick a lot of movies that are coming out before October. I think by that time I'll have three releases out on the market with Blonde being the other one that comes into play. 
I picked a lot of movies coming out late, and that was by strategy because I learned last year when you have that first waiver pick, you can get the quote quote doc front runner or a international movie that you didn't really know much about because I think both years that we've gone so far, that first waiver movie, even though in 2020 we didn't do a particular waiver, it's just the big movie that everyone was talking about, ended up being a very good points getter with Pieces of a Woman and with last year being The Rescue. And I feel like the same thing can happen this year. There's going to be a movie that either we just didn't see the need to draft or a movie that just comes all the way out of right field and you're just like, I want this. And if, you're, if you have that first pick in the October waivers, you get the big fall release, or not the fall release, but the big fall preview movie. And this year, who knows? We don't really know what it is at the moment because we're about a week removed from the draft. But come another month, there's going to be a big player out there. And like you said, it could be mine. It could be Brother Bros. It could be Austin. So we don't really know yet. Yeah, and to be honest, I think with our league, I don't think we're going to be going for those doc contenders, for those international contenders. I think that there's enough big movies left on the board, uh, stuff that we were debating taking the entire time, like uh, The Wonder, The Good Nurse, The Pale Blue Eye, those types of movies. I mean, all of them have release dates now, and specifically The Wonder and The Pale Blue Eye are both getting the Lost Daughter treatments from last year, which came out right on December 31st. So right now... A film that uh, releases like that, that's looking fantastic for uh, for Oscars and for that placement. So I don't know. I, I think that there's a real chance that whoever uh, gets that first pick in the waiver rounds could completely change the game around. I fully agree. And that, that's why I said that's what I was kind of aiming for. Because, yes, I had Elvis. I had already came out. I had the Batman. And then I took Blonde. But those are three movies that aren't, like, I would say giant, like first round, second round type contenders that are gonna give you a lot of points that will, like, have you like blocked from getting those. Because like last year, I forgot what exactly I had, but I had like three or four movies that already came out by the time we had our first waiver, so I had no chance for that top pick because I think I already had Eyes of Tammy Faye already came out, um, Mass had already come out, and I there's like one or two other ones that already came out. So I had like four movies with already a hundred plus points, and getting that first pick at that point is just out the window. You're at the bottom half of the waiver priorities. Absolutely. And, you know, we're, we're really going to see how this all shakes out in just a month's time. Uh, I'm very excited to see who gets what, because again, like I said, uh, this is where the game is made. This is where you win or you lose, especially this year, because there's so many unknowns and there's so many underperformers and overperformers, and it's so exciting. Now, uh, we're going to get into the news this week because there is a shit ton of news that's just come out. Now, we've talked about Bardo uh, reviews, which are yikes. And we've talked about Tar reviews, which are fantastic, but we haven't talked about one more film's reviews, and that's White Noise. Dylan, how are the White Noise reactions? So to me, I feel like the White Noise reactions are... Um, a more of a negative reaction than Bardo. That could be me being biased, but I feel like a movie that is very divisive is a very harder tell than a movie that's just getting more negative with a few positives on the side. Because yes, now we're getting the feeling that Bardo isn't like the God movie that uh, Inuritu thought he was making. But with White Noise, we still have some stuff saying like, oh, this is really good. And then other people saying, this is the worst thing I've ever seen. So for Netflix, that gives them the huge question mark. Okay, what do we do with this movie? And I feel like this is going to be one that they're going to try to like linger all season long. At the end of the day, it's going to be a nothing movie. I still don't think this is getting anywhere at the Oscars. Yes, it has a shot in Adapted. Adam Driver's always a player. Don Cheadle is even a chance because the supporting actor looks kind of weak this year. But I just don't see White Noise really cracking out, especially with how mixed it's gotten so far. Yeah, I mean, I agree uh, with most of it, except I would say it is not as bad as um, as Bardo. 
I, I mean, sorry. Yeah, it's not as bad as Bardo. I'm being delusional. Said, I, 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 got, yeah. I, got to, I got to convince myself Bardo wasn't I mean, a bad first round pick. I respect that you're repping Bardo, but um, I mean, they both are films that are clearly very mixed. Uh, but the people who dislike White Noise don't dislike it as strongly as they dislike Bardo. Because uh, with Bardo, it seems like people who dislike it really dislike it. And with White Noise, it seems like people who dislike it are like, mm, not for me. That said, we might end up seeing that that means that Bardo has more people who are very passionate about it. And White Noise just doesn't have the same amount of passion, good or bad. So we'll see. Maybe it is a good thing that people are reacting so strongly to Bardo because that might mean that people will react strongly the other way. But that said, I don't see White Noise's reviews dropping much lower than where it's currently at, like 66 on Metacritic. I don't see it going far below that. But with Bardo, I could see it dropping into the 40s on Metacritic, if I'm being completely honest. Uh, because at Venice, that's the place where if you have a big pretentious movie uh, and you drop that pretentious movie, critics are supposed to like it. Right? Like, we see with Spencer last year, which is one of my favorite movies of last year, that debuted with a 95 on Metacritic. After it got released to the public, they saw, oh, this is a, a lot more interesting than we thought. Um, and then some of the critics that weren't at Venice dropped it down. It ended up around, like, 72 or so on Metacritic. Bardo is the same type of movie, where it should be getting higher reviews from Venice and then get pulled back after Venice by people who are like, mm, it's a little bit much. Um, and for it to already start like this, that's really bad for it. That means it's just gonna, it can only go lower from here is the way I feel. Um, now again, it's still early. I'm not gonna curse anything, but it's not, it's not looking good for its score. Uh, whereas White Noise, again, I think it's, it's sticking around 66. I mean, Netflix has two very questionable movies on their hands so far, which almost further proves my point that we I mentioned it a lot earlier in the pod or the podcast series is that Glass Onion probably may be their main real push, and I'm kind of kicking Dude, myself I'm for not picking man. it. In round three, when I picked Same. Elvis, I was like, I, those are the two movies I was looking at. It's like I think I can get Elvis on the wraparound because I've I've seen Brother Bro, I've seen Film Trunks uh, YouTube videos. Neither of them are high on Elvis. It's like. I think this can make it back to me. Just me personally, I'm a little bit higher now, but so it's like I should go with the smarter pick in my like my head right here. But now, like just one week removed, I'm like, I should have got Glass Onion because Elvis could have still bun there on like on the wraparound. And I mean, like you said, Bardo, the reviews could be like the positive thing for it. There's so many negatives, but there's also gonna be people who are so passionate for it. I can definitely see Bardo being like this year's Don't Look Up and other movies in the past that have gotten onslaught of just negative reviews off rip but then still have a following just because of how divisive they can be. Will that be enough at the end of the day, especially for a movie like Barter that's nearly three hours long, it's international, it's not a straight comedy, it's not going to be a crowd pleaser like Don't Look Up was? That will still come to see, but Glass Onion is looking stronger and stronger by the day, and I think, who oh, got yeah. it in our draft? Was that Film Drunk or was it Brother Bro? Ooh, good question. Um, I think it was, it was Brother, Brother Bro. Bro. So he's got himself... It's looking like he may have the people pleaser team of the year because he's got Maverick, he's got Glass Onion, he's got RRR on his team. He's going to have a lot of the just the consensus people's favorite movies of the year, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And he's got The Sun, which has a trailer that has just come out this week. Uh, and I guess I'll give my thoughts on the trailer for The Sun. I wasn't big on it, I'm going to be honest. It felt very... Um, 
uh, Oscar bait tear jerky and but you know what it was only a one minute trailer I wasn't impressed by the trailer but I am I'm not letting this change my opinion on the film whatsoever I'm gonna be honest I had not seen the trailer for the sun for movies that are not uh, Netflix movies I try to wait to see the trailer until I can see it in a theater and I have not had the chance to see a movie that was blessed with the sun's teaser in front of it um so I had not seen the trailer yet, but from what I've heard, a lot of people have the same reactions as you. Um, they are not super high on the trailer. They still think it's going to be a good movie overall. They just think it's not a very good trailer. One, that's kind of the feelings I had. I'm trying to think of a movie recently that I had those same feelings with. Um, I'm It's evading my head right now, but I know that we talked to you on the podcast recently where there was like a trailer yeah. one I wasn't very high of, but trailer two, I was like, yes, this is the type of trailer I'm down for. Mm-hmm. I know, I mean, for one thing, there was Nope, which had a trailer that you were not a, a fan yeah, of. Yeah, I was and a huge fan of Trailer 1, but Trailer 2 just wasn't for me, but the movie was. So who knows? Maybe when I see the Suns trailer, I'll feel the same as you. I'm like, I don't really know, but then I see the movie, and I'm like, yes, because Florian Zeller is one of my favorite newcoming directors. Uh, the Father was arguably my favorite movie of 2020, give or take Tenet. I've rewatched it a lot of times and really liked it. I haven't watched The Father that many times, so I guess I'll have to see there. But I'm really excited for what The Sun has here. I know there was a discussion on our um, community Discord this week about The Sun and about its chances. I know I'm not as high on it as a lot of people are. I think it's a fringe best picture around 10 contender why a lot of people have in their top three, top four. And I'm really interested to hear your take on that after seeing a trailer. Do you still have it in your like main group A, or is it falling down to be around a 10, or do you have it out at the moment? No, so I I mean, for a while I had it at number 10. Uh, I've moved it up to eight at this point out of necessity, and the necessity of that is that Bardo's out, and, um, oh, another, another film... I mean, my 10 slot's so weird because I'm like, I don't know if it's going to be Triangle of Sadness. I don't know if it's going to be Tar. I don't know if it's going to be Avatar. I don't know if it's going to be, like, what it's going to be. I feel like I have seven where I'm really, really solid on them, and that ends with Top Gun Maverick. Um, But The Sun, I'm not sure about. I think that there's a strong possibility that when it premieres at Venice, it drops with reviews that are, like, 62 on Metacritic where people are like, it's fine. It's fine. Um... And there's, there's a very strong possibility of that happening, uh, which, again, this is the chaotic part of the season. This is the part of the season where the things that we all think are going to be players turn out to be not players, and that was Bardo. And I still think that if there's any film that's in danger of that, it's The Sun. Maybe it's Women Talking as well uh, that could premiere and not do all the things that we expect it to do. Um, but that said, I still do have it in my top 10, mostly because Bardo has dropped out of my top 10. So I've got the sun at my, uh, at my number eight and I still feel pretty good about it. That said, I do think that it's highly at risk right now of underperforming. Yeah, I'm, I'm there with you. Bardo is still in my 10. I, I've moved it down though. So, uh, I mean, we'll get, we'll get to that later, but, um, the sun, there's a lot of movement in my best picture lineup, which um, don't want to give too much of it away here now because we have a lot to get through because we have a very packed episode. Talking about oh Venice going on now, I know that you're going to have to miss next week because you're going to be at TIFF, but there's a very good yeah. chance we could have some guests on that may be at Venice, could be at Telluride, people who are getting their eyes laid on these movies and getting 
their reactions of these because yes we can take the metacritic scores we can take people that we see social media reactions but having someone verbally talk about it can give us a whole another gauge about these films because who knows they could be a lot higher in certain movies they could be a lot lower they could tell the feel for the room because there's a lot of times i've seen especially with like use the case of like Jojo Rabbit where like you're in the room and it yes. feels like this movie's hitting but then you see their reviews and it's like no people don't like this but at the end of the day people did like it because they got a best picture it won screenplay it was a huge player at the Oscars and I think I don't know if that will be Bardo I don't know if that will be Tar but we'll, we'll get to find out here in the weeks coming because a lot of people who are going to be in those rooms will be able to express their opinions more openly and we can get a real feel for how movies were playing in the moment not how people sat with them after a day and looked at what other people said online to fit into the consensus for a movie's rating. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, like we said, this episode is very packed, so I'm just going to ram through a few news items. So, for one thing, Babylon Footage is going to be debuting at TIFF with Damien Chazelle's talk. I don't think I'm going to be able to be there, unfortunately. My schedule is way too packed, uh, and I don't know if I can stand in a rush line to hear Damien Chazelle talk for an hour and a half. Uh, when there's so many other movies and also like it's a very small space I think there's like a hundred people that can go in there I don't think I can make it in but I'm very anxious to hear how that Babylon footage is going to play and I want to hear what he says about all of this who knows maybe my schedule will change maybe I'll hit that I don't know Uh, tell your eyed lineup dropped I'm not going to go through the whole thing but what I will say and I'm going to give credit to Arno for this is that usually every single year almost without fail there are two best picture nominees that are in the tell your eyed lineup Uh, now that has basically been happening every single year without fail this year, we've got three potential ones in the lineup, especially now that Bardo has kind of dropped out of the race, and they are Empire of Light, Women Talking, and Tar. That's making me a little bit nervous. It's making me feel like Tar is going to drop out, and it's going to be Empire of Light and Women Talking. Uh, or maybe something crazy happens. Who knows? Everything's up in the air. But I'm going to give full credit to Arno on that one. Uh, it's making me a little bit nervous for Tar because Empire of Light and Women Talking feel so strong. Uh, next up, Netflix drops release dates for all of their films. I am not going to go through everything. I'm just going to give two very interesting uh, things that I noticed here, which is that My Father's Dragon, which we've been saying, ooh, I don't know if that's coming out. Ooh, I don't know if it's coming out. Who knows if it's coming out? It's coming out. It's coming out in November. And then uh, the other interesting thing is Shirley is not slated for this year. So that means Regina King out of the race. Uh, for this year at least, probably for next year also, because the film is apparently not good. Um, And last quick thing is The Wonder has the December 31st release date on Netflix, which is the Lost Daughter slot. Maybe we should be taking The Wonder more seriously, especially now that Bardo and White Noise have flopped at Venice. So, who knows? Um, But that is my takeaway of Netflix. Next up, Pinocchio, world premiering, BFI London. Cannot wait to hear that. And finally, EO submitted by Poland. Uh, We haven't talked about it a whole lot on this show, but we're both big fans of the Donkey movie. I've seen it. You haven't. Donkey movie. What do you think? I will be there day one, whether it is on streaming, whether it is in a small theater near me, anywhere. I will go supporting EO because um, last week I actually bought a ticket. I've never been to a rave, but I'm going to a Shrek rave in Richmond. Um, Know nothing about raves or anything, but I'm going to Shrek rave. I'm going to go dress as Donkey. That same outfit will be used to when I go see EO. So I will be EO in person. I, I mean, that's that was a brand new sentence. <laughs> exactly. 
I will be the first ever EO cosplayer, yeah. so I can set the world on fire for that. Yes, we are huge EO fans here. One other thing I want to mention real quick before we move past that, let's talk about My Father's Dragon. That will be one I will get to see early because it will be at the Virginia Film Festival. They announced two sneak previews Ooh. of movies the other day, and one of them was My Father's Dragon. I doubt it's a premiere or anything like that, but it's one I'll get to see about a month and a half early, so I'm really excited for that. And speaking of Telluride, yes, there's two Best Picture nominees coming from it. Bardo's playing. Don't count it out just yet. It's not happening. I'm sorry, Dill. It's not happening. Believe. The EO train believes in Bardo. The EO train the EO train believes in world peace through the eyes of a donkey. So, basically, if you're listening to our show, you better be watching EO. It's going to be fantastic. Uh, And two other quick news items before we move on, because, again, we have so much to talk about. The Whale is being pulled from some festivals, which is very strange. Uh, It's still playing at TIFF. But they're not doing much press at Venice, uh, which is very interesting. Um, and, yeah, it's being pulled from festivals. The release date's been announced, but being pulled from fe- from festivals makes me think maybe A24 is like, okay, we're going all in on everything everywhere. Let's not get distracted. All in. Uh, which also leads me to the final news item of the day, which is Michelle Yeoh has won an award at TIFF despite not having a film at TIFF. And TIFF is crediting everything everywhere all at once as the reason she's getting the award, which is nuts to me um, because we've talked before that there's always one acting prize at TIFF that goes on to win an Oscar. Always. Um, At least for the last four years, always. But uh, Michelle Yeoh, I guess, counts for that now? So if she wins the Oscar, that stat's still not broken, especially because she doesn't even have a movie at TIFF, and she just won an award at TIFF. What? I mean, we'll see when we get to my Best Picture rankings later. I'm The trend's continuing for everything ever all at once. So that first pick, it may look like you have the better first-round pick than me, again, two years in a row, so... Um, I, I mean, I have believed in that all the way along because I am everything ever all at once train all the way. Uh, anyways, that's it for our news today. Uh, thank you all for bearing with me as I sped through everything because holy shit, there was a lot that happened this week. I mean, there's a lot that happened this week. There's going to be a lot happening these weeks to come. I mean, we have a lot to talk about here on the show today. Um, which one of those things is going to be talking about what you'll be doing next week at TIFF. But before we get there, there is a film that debuted at the Cannes Film Festival earlier this year, which got mixed reviews. We both have finally got a chance to see this because it came out in theaters, and I mean, we may be two of the only people who got to see this because this did not do well. There's a lot of reasons why this did not do well, but that is George Miller's new movie, 3,000 Years of Longing. And Matt, what did you feel about this, this movie? I mean... I know I liked it a lot more than you did. That's what I'll say, right? For the most part, I wasn't I wasn't as negative as I probably sounded in my letterbox review, but I had a lot of issues with this where my issues could go either way on a rewatch, but the um the one thing that I feel like this movie really had going against it is that trailer. That trailer was amazing, but that trailer is not what the movie actually was. So, well, it really got you excited to see it. It also had you sitting there like, oh, so this is going to happen. This is going to happen. And then it doesn't happen. Or when it does happen, it's very much not in that context that the trailer kind of like hinted at. So there's a lot of just 
your mind's running all over the place while watching this movie, while sometimes that can be very good. Other times, like here, it was not very good. Yeah. I mean, I think that this movie follows in the footsteps of stories that it's very clearly drawing from, like Arabian Nights, where the stories that it's telling are much more interesting than the framing device, but the framing device takes up so much of it. Uh, It's very clear to me here that the best parts of this movie are everything, any time Idris Elba is telling a story of the past. The production Mm -hmm. design is insane. Uh, The costumes are great. Cinematography is fantastic. Visual effects are great. All of it just comes together in such a nice way. But then everything in the hotel room between Idris Elba and Tilda Swinton didn't do it for me. It didn't do it for me. I mean, I feel like there's a lot in this movie that's doing well. While I did like some of the stuff in the hotel room, other parts in the hotel room were really the negatives of the movie. There was one specific shot, I would say about 10 minutes into the movie, when you first see Idris Elba's character, uh, you first see the djinn, and you could tell this shot wasn't done yet. And um, who knows, maybe the shot, like maybe they were rushing to have it finished for Khan, but then you would think like, hey... Maybe go back and edit that shot again before it comes out, like, seven, six months later for a theatrical release. And that shot really stuck out. I was like, oh, she's standing in front of a green screen. And, like, you can see, like, her body move on the green screen. But taking, like, technical small stuff out of there, I thought the part of the move that really did not work for me was once um, Tilda Swinton's character makes her wishes. Um, Not spoiling anything about the wishes or anything like that, but when the wishes are made, the movie loses me. Up until that point, I would say the movie's a very solid 7. After that point, I didn't like the movie at all. Nothing worked for me after that. So that brings me to my total grade of a very light 7, a very strong 6. But like one part was really good and one part was very bad. And I know a lot of people are talking about this movie needs to be a lot longer. They feel like, oh, there could have been so much more told in that last like 20 minutes, that last final act. Or there could have been so much told throughout the whole movie. This movie was like an hour 40, but it felt like two and a half, almost three hours to me. Like, how people talk about Elvis is kind of how I feel about this movie. Where like, I was really down for that first hour. But once like the hour, hour and a half point, half or hour 20 point happens, I'm like, oh, we're moving so slow. Like, all of the pace is out the window. I know I'm rambling here, and I know you have some more thoughts you want to talk about. But that was my biggest negatives of the movie, was the third act and the pacing throughout. Because, like, yes, I really dug the Jen stories. But every time the story ended, I was like, oh, we have to restart the, the pacing, the narrative here. And right when the story was getting good, the story ended. Yeah, I mean, ramble all you want. This is what we're here for. This is why we're talking. We're, we're getting all our thoughts out there. And, I mean, for me, I, I'm going to give this film a light 8 out of 10. Uh, I did really like this film. I think a lot of it worked. I definitely feel the same as you, which is that I think that once the wishes have been made... Uh, the character motivations don't feel entirely strong to me. But that said, I just had such a great time with all of the stories, with all of the magic in this film, that I, uh, I I really did enjoy this movie. I think for me, all of those segments are like a 9 out of 10 right there. I think it's pure George Miller craziness. Just There's so much imagination going on there. And I would probably give the... Uh, hotel scenes and everything after the hotel a strong six out of ten so you know Mm -hmm. averaging out i'm gonna give it a light eight out of ten i do like this movie but that said uh, i do have to say george miller is officially gonna be part of the one hit wonder oscar club uh, which is filmmakers who have never made oscar movies before 
and then we'll probably never make an Oscar movie again, uh, joining the club along the likes of Bong Joon-ho, Richard Linklater, Wes Anderson, Ryusuke Hamaguchi, uh, Noah Baumbach, who's just been proven with white noise, Yorgos Lanthimos, uh, Peter Jackson, who made The Lord of the Rings three movies and then uh, probably won't make an Oscar movie again. There's so many people in this club, and I think George Miller really does have a comfortable seat as one of the big ones in that club, because Mad Max was such a sensation, and I don't think that he can do it again, nor do I think that he cares to. I don't think that that's something that's ever going to cross his mind again. Uh, I don't think it crossed his mind with Fury Road, and with 3,000 Years of Longing, it's just, you know, this is not an Oscar film, and it doesn't have to be. I mean, I think the majority of your list right there, I think you hit the nail on the head, is like, they don't care to make another Oscar movie. They weren't trying to make an Oscar movie in the first place. So, like, it wasn't from a lack of trying they haven't been bad. Because, I mean, like, what has Peter Jackson really done since Lord of the Rings? He hasn't really made a movie for that. Yes, he had that the war documentary that was really good. But I'm, if I don't, if I remember correctly, it was ineligible. And that's the only thing I feel like he had, like, sort of that could have been there. But, I mean, he's not making Oscar movies. I don't ever see someone like Noah Baumbach really going back to that. Because... I feel like Marriage Story was the epitome of the Noah Baumbach style. And I guess White Noise will prove that here is if he's going to try to continue that style or he's like, okay, I've hit my high, so let me branch out to try something new. And I think that's what a lot of these people here are, especially like Spike Jones and Bonju Ho and Richard Linklater. They have their so like distinctive styles where just like it just so happened one of their styles hit. So they're not going to be like, I'm going to stay taking that same type of movie for the rest of my life. They're like, no, give me for Richard Linklater, let me make boyhood that took like 10 years to make and still in itself really isn't an oscar movie i just think because it took so long to make was the reason it was an oscar movie but i'm gonna just keep making my feel good kind of just laid back chill movies and that's what he's done since then and i mean give or take if they've been good laid back chill movies that's your own opinion but he's still doing his type of style he did it before he did it when he got nominated he's gonna continue doing it after and like you said george miller's gonna keep doing that I still think there's a small chance Fiorosa could be an Oscar movie, but I don't think it will be to level of Mad Max. I don't think it's a picture player. I don't think it's a director player. But I think it's going to be another one of those huge tech players that isn't even in contention for above the line nominations. No, I'm, and I'm going to be honest, this list of filmmakers, uh, the people who are the one-hit wonder Oscar club, this is my favorite type of filmmaker because they're people who are not thinking about Oscars. They're people who are making whatever they want, doing what they want, making things that feel true to them. And yeah, maybe they will hit again with the Oscars, but they're not trying to. Uh, the films make it in despite all of that, because they're so good that they can't be ignored, uh, not because they're trying to get an Oscar. Uh, like something like Drive My Car, right? Raisuke Hamaguchi was not thinking about an Oscar, and that's why the film is so good. Uh, and I think 3,000 Years of Longing is one of those films where the film is good, and it's very clearly he's not trying to do what Mad Max Fury Road did, because Mad Max Fury Road wasn't trying to do what Mad Max Fury Road did. Yeah, 100%. And I mean, just going back to the movie as a whole, like I said, I sound more negative than I actually was about it. I really enjoyed watching it. Those first, I would say, hour 20, until the wishes are made, I was really digging. I even dug like the first 10 minutes of the movie when I've seen a lot of people talk about they didn't really like that part of it. I really liked the just the wackiness of George Miller and be like, okay, maybe this doesn't make sense after seeing it, but when I rewatch it, I'll be really interested to see how does those two little things that um, 
uh, teleswinging encounters before meeting the Jin. What do they actually need? What are they there for? Because uh, one of them pops up again later, while the other one really doesn't. And then just learning more about the Jin because I feel like the Jin's a very interesting person. I know there's no chance of a sequel, a spinoff, anything like that for this movie. But I would love to just learn more about the Jin, whether it is more short stories and like a pan like a short film or a little mini series or something like that. I feel like that's where this movie could have been a whole lot better. If it was like a mini series, and each episode was one of the Jin stories, even the final episode was with the conclusion of this movie is just you give it a little bit more time to spread out to make it a little bit more believable instead of going from like zero to what happened and like the, the, the snap of a finger for lack of a better term. And I don't know. I enjoyed this. I am eager to see it again, but it's one that I can understand why a lot of people don't like. It's one I can understand why a lot of people do like. It's one of those movies that I think is the point of movies. For a discussion, and I, I feel like having a movie like 3,000 Years of Longing, what Bardo seems to be like, what White Noise is, a movie that sparks a discussion is so much better than a movie every, everyone unanimously can say, this was good or this was bad. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to get to our next movie review of the day because we've got a second one right here, and we're going to kind of uh, rush through this one a little bit. Now this is Breaking, which is uh, a Sundance movie. It stars John Boyega as a... Uh, veteran who holds up a bank uh, for $892, the money that has not been paid to him by the, um, uh, I am totally, the VA, by the VA, Uh, not American. All good. That's that's where I come in. That's where I come in. That's where you come in. That's where you come in. So yeah, he's uh, he's holding up a bank for the $892 that the VA owes him. Uh, We both really liked this movie, and just... Off the bat, this is not happening at the Oscars, right? I mean, it should be, honest. In my opinion, it should maybe not get nominated, but it should be in the conversation for, I would say, like two categories. But yeah, you're right. This isn't happening. This is the same issue I see with 3,000 Years of Longing. You're making these movies that seem like they, they could be something. 3,000 Years of Longing could be like a visual effects player. It could be a costumes or a production design. And Breaking could be an actor player or a supporting actor. But like they're coming out in August. There's zero shot for anything here. Maybe a guild throws one of them a bone, but like at the end of the day, these are really weird releases because let alone for Oscar chances, just for to get people to lay eyes on these movies. 3,000 years along, it makes sense for like an October release. I mean, yeah, uh, the Jin isn't like a popular Halloween character, but like it has a little bit of that spooky feel that could fit in the like the the October Halloween season as a, a sort of counter programming for like an older audience to be like, I want to see a more magical movie. Let's go see 3,000 Years of Longing. And, like, that's a movie that's been on my radar for a long time. I didn't see a trailer for it outside of, like, me searching for it until about a week before release. And on the other hand, for Breaking, a movie I heard about when it had the Sundance premiere, I didn't hear anything about it until I saw it at my local theater. This movie was out. And I was like, I don't really know what this is because it had a new name. And then I went to see it, and I was like, oh, this is really good. Why haven't I heard about this before? And um, speaking about the movie Breaking itself, this is John Boyega's best performance, I would say, by far. Um, oh yeah, he, he's oh, had a yeah. lot of underrated performances in his career, but this lets him showcase what he's really good at, and he's so good at showcasing anger in short spurts, which he never really got to do in the Star Wars movies. In some of his other roles, he's gotten to do a little bit, but this movie really showcases how under controlled he can be in one second, and then just how just like not violent, but just how like furious he can be like two seconds later. Dude, it is it is a, a truly incredible performance, and I do think we're going to see it show up for some critics' awards. Uh, I wish that we could say that this would be in the conversation, but it's just too small of a release. And really, what you said about August, 
you're completely right. This is, um, I mean, we've all heard about fuck you, it's January, but this is mm. fuck you, it's August. Especially this uh, which year. Which is, especially this year, which is basically saying, like, you get to a certain point in August, most uh, American teenagers are going back to school, so the studios stop pumping out the summer movies, and there's a span of time between the end of summer uh, for, for American school children and the beginning of the fall festival season. And that's the time where the studios just put out whatever they do not know what to do with. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the films that we're seeing right here. That's 3,000 Years of Longing. These are the films that, you know, maybe they could do well in the fall, but the studio has other priorities. MGM, who did 3,000 Years of Longing, they're going to want to push Women Talking. They're going to want to push um, Bones at All. And those are films that are going to be coming out October, November, December. So they don't. where's their room for this? They're just going to dump it right here, uh, 3,000 Years of Longing, because that's what they do. And Breaking, you know, Breaking, it's, it's a, a, an indie Sundance movie that didn't do too well at Sundance. It could be an awards player, but this is not a distributor that can do awards. So Bleaker they're going to release it and hope... Yeah, they're just going to release it and hope that some critics see it and go, hey, John Boyega was good, which he was. He was great. And I would love to see him get nominated for some sort of award somewhere. I'm sure he will be. Yeah, I'm, Breaking is a movie that seems like perfect to come out and like limited release for like a week or two to build up buzz in like October, November, and then get like a wide release like first week of December sort of thing. But like you said... Bleaker Street doesn't really know what they're doing. We saw that last year with Mass, where it seemed like maybe at points they were like, oh yeah, we're going to try to do something. And then at the end of the day, they did nothing. And uh, Breaking seems like, oh, we have something. It wasn't as good as we thought it would be. So let's just pretend like we didn't have it at all and put it in just enough theaters to quantify for like a real release this weekend. And then like two weeks, it's going to be gone. In three weeks, it will be available for home streaming. Which, I mean, people out there, if you haven't had a chance to see Breaking in theaters, uh, don't rush out. This is a movie that's not going anywhere. It will be there three weeks. You can watch it from home. It's really good. It's not that long. It It's like an hour 40, but it feels like an hour. You breeze through this. A lot of great performances. You're on your seat the whole time. This is, um, like we said, John Boyega's best and one of the best movies I think has come out the whole month of August. I mean, there's not a lot of competition, but the three best movies of August in my eyes were Bullet Train, Bodies, 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 and Breaking, the Triple Bs. They come back. Triple B's right there. Yeah, I mean, I, I know a lot of people weren't too hot on the film breaking, but I think every single person agrees that John Boyega is awesome. So if you want a great performance, you will not be disappointed by this film. Uh, and, you know, let's let's just, let's move on. Because uh, this is, who I, I got a busy next two weeks coming up. Um, so I'm going to TIFF, if you don't know. Uh, I do TIFF every single year, and this year is going to be a very different TIFF for me because um, this year I was lucky enough to watch 23 of the TIFF films beforehand. So I've already seen 23 films, and I've got my schedule planned out for TIFF. Uh, Right now on my schedule, I plan to see 56 more movies at TIFF. Uh, um, So yeah, I, I have a busy two weeks i'm seeing at least five movies a day uh some movies some days i get to see six um i already have tickets for a few films so i already have tickets for uh the fablemans for uh 
which the world premiere of the Fablemans, the world premiere of Wendell and Wilde, the TIFF premiere of The Whale, the TIFF premiere of The Sun, and the TIFF premiere of Women Talking, uh, as well as, I th no, that's it, that's it. Uh, but otherwise, some films that I'm going to be trying to see, uh, which I will be updating you on. Uh, now, these are just the Oscar-relevant films. These are the films that uh, we'll probably be like talking about through the season at some point uh, that you might have some interest in. So some of the films I'm hoping to be seeing probably will be seeing like 95% of these, uh, may not hit a few of them, but we'll see. Uh, so I'm going for Moon Age Daydream, The Inspection, All the Beauty and the Bloodshed, Weird, The Al Yankovic Story, Bros, Butcher's Crossing, Causeway, uh, again, The Fablemans, Glass Onion, Wendell and Wilde, The Whale, Empire of Light, Devotion, The Sun, The Banshees of Inisherin, St. Omer, Women Talking, All Quiet on the Western Front, The Wonder, Corsage, The Menu, The Eternal Daughter, Chevalier, The Good Nurse, The Swimmers, The Lost King. Uh, the only big movie that I'm not going to be able to see in my schedule is The Women King. Um, and here's the thing. It's coming out during the festival in theaters anyways, so I it's not the biggest loss in the world to not be able to see that movie at the festival. And I may or may not see The Greatest Beer Run Ever. I have a time for it slotted out, but that said, there is a Venice movie uh, called Beyond the Wall, which is playing at the same time. Uh, and if Beyond the Wall is good, and if Greatest Beer Run is not good, uh, I won't see Greatest Beer Run. So we'll see. My, my schedule's... It's, it's fluid. It's flowing. It can change. I can figure out what to do throughout. Because who knows? There might be some films that get great reviews where I'm like, I can't miss this. I have to drop another movie. Um, but at this point, 56 films, 11 days. It's going to be wild. Uh, plus, I might be able to see three more TIFF movie screeners before the festival. So, yeah. Uh, I'm going to have seen, like, 80 movies out of TIFF this year which is nuts to me, because normally, like, I end up with, like, 40 to 50 by the end of TIFF. This year, it's going to be 80. Uh, and the episode after I get back from TIFF, so I'm going to not be here next week, but the week after, uh, we are going to do a big episode where I'm probably just going to, like, rapid speed, like, 30-second review every single movie that I saw there. Maybe a little bit more time for the ones that are, like, very interesting or very good. But for the most part, I'll just be like, yeah, I saw this. This It, it, was, it was good. Yeah, I saw this. Not bad. Not good. Saw this. And so, yeah, we'll, we'll see. Um, but I am super pumped. Now, Dill, I uh, I mean, I'm, I'm interested to hear. I've got a big list. What are some of the ones that you are most excited to hear my reactions for? First, before we get into that, 56, that's a number that's come up earlier. That's higher than Bardo's critical review right now. So you're going to see more movies than the points out of 100 people would give Bardo. But the top five I, I went through here, there's five movies. I mean, a lot of movies here stick out to me that I would love the opportunity to see. Tiff is something that I would eventually love to find myself there for. But the five that stood out most to me in no particular order would be The Inspection. This is a movie that I've heard a lot about. Everything I hear I really like. And... Um, I don't really know much about a lot of people involved with this movie. I don't really know much about the story, but I just this is just a movie that feels like this is going to be a Dylan-type movie. Then we have Glass Onion. This is what I talked about, I think, when we first mentioned that you were going to TIFF. This would be the one, if I can only see one thing at TIFF, this would be the movie I would want to see. Wendell and Wilde just got announced last week that Keenan Peel are writing the movie. That makes my excitement level go from, like, very much want to see this to this is a must-see because, I mean, I talked about my love for Jordan Peele. 
Uh, Key Michael Key is also one of my favorites. Putting them together is really good. I think the last time they wrote something together was Keanu, which was one of my favorite movies of that year. So who knows? But a little while could make my top 10 at the end of the year. Of course, we got to mention Women Talking. Well, this may not be my particular type of movie. I'm really excited for this movie because you've hyped it up a lot. Everything I see for it online seems like it's going to be really good. I really like the statement that Sarah Polly made the other day. So, yes, oh, maybe beautiful. it would be like yeah. The Sun, Empire of Light, that Fableman should be over Women Talking. Women Talking is just one I'm really excited to see. And the last one I want to mention is one that we've talked about. It's probably not coming out this year, but it's got Kelvin Harrison Jr., who's one of my favorite actors, and that's Chevalier. I, this is one I would probably be like in my top five also that I would want to see after Glass Onion, specifically because it's not coming out this year. Is it actually my five? Like, oh, of all these were in front of me. Which one would I want to watch first? Probably not, but the fact that you could see it that early just is like, that's just so cool. And I mean, you're not seeing it, but the greatest beer run ever is right there. You don't want to go on a beer I, run? I might see it. That's the thing. Again, it's it's going to depend on how good the reviews are for both Beyond the Wall and The Greatest Beer Run Ever. Because really, like, The Greatest Beer Run Ever, it comes out end of September. So it's not like I'm going to have to wait a long time to see it if I don't mm-hmm. see it at TIFF. That said, I'd love to see it with a TIFF audience. So right now, the thing that I'm juggling is like, okay, if Greatest Beer Run gets really good reviews and it feels like I have to see it at the fest, I'll go. If it gets mediocre reviews, I might skip it and just watch it on Apple TV. Um, And then if Beyond the Wall gets really good reviews, then I'm definitely going to go see it. If it's like, "Mm, it's okay, then even if Greatest Beer Run is like, yeah, it's okay, I'll probably pick that instead just because, you know... That's a movie it would be fun to see with an audience. TIFF can get really exhausting. Uh, it can be really, really tiring to just sit in a dark... It's going to sound ridiculous to say this, but you get burnt out. You get extremely burnt out uh, by sitting in that room over and over, watching the same commercials and going through a routine of 56 times over, uh, going to see movie after movie after movie after movie. And so to see something that's going to get an audience reaction, that keeps it interesting. Um, whereas, you know, if you're seeing a lot of very slow art dramas, it can be taxing. It can be really taxing. So uh, seeing The Greatest Beer Run Ever, even if it's coming out like a week later, it's still, uh, it's a crowd pleaser. And it's fun to see crowd pleasers at TIFF. But we'll see. Again, schedule is not set in stone right now so it could change any time when reviews come out we'll see no definitely i mean more power to you for doing 56 or more movies because when i do the virginia film festival i do about 10 in like three days and that's more than enough for me where i'm already feeling a little bit sleepy like i've mentioned before i fell asleep during jojo rabbit and that was like my fourth movie of the day so and jojo rabbit's a a crowd pleaser movie so um yeah, so I'm. I'm no, really I've scheduled for you. it out this year where I'm. I'm not staying out late any night, uh, because I know most days I start at like eight thirty a.m. I used to do a lot of midnight movies, and I've figured out how to do all the midnight movies, but not at midnight because they have other screenings. So um, I will hopefully not be totally dead through most of the festival, um, and yeah, I mean, I'm. I'm really trying to like work it out so that I can just get from place to place. I may have scheduled a little bit too tight, so I have like 15 minutes between films, but I want to pack in as much as possible because I have this industry pass, because I get all these films for free, basically. All the money I'm spending is what I've spent on my industry pass and on the five premiere tickets that I've already bought because I was like, ooh, I don't want to wait 
I don't want to wait 10 hours in line for the Fablemans to maybe get into it. Yeah. Um, so instead, there's a few movies where I'm like, I'm just going to save myself the time uh, and go into it. I mean, I'm definitely very excited for uh, the Fablemans, for uh, Wendell and Wilde, for The Sun, for The Whale, uh, for all of the above. Because, you know, it's going to be so cool to have cast there, crew there, um, everyone, and women talking as well. Um, a lot of these are going to be industry screenings, which are a bit more dull. There's not much of a, a crowd interaction with the film. Um, but you still get to see the movie. And am I going to be exhausted? Totally. Is it going to be worth it? Absolutely. And 56 movies, the more movies I see, the more my pass is worth it because that ends up, I think I, um, I think in 2019, I saw 52 movies total. And when it came down to it, I realized that, um, by the end of the festival, the way that I, how many films I'd seen, it ended up being that like every single ticket that I had was like four bucks. Nice. Nice. So the more I see, the cheaper the pass is. Um, and like I said, I've seen 23 films from TIFF already. Uh, and at this point, if I could recommend three, my top three films that I've seen from TIFF so far, the, the three films that I'd give a 10 out of 10 are Triangle of Sadness, Holy Spider, and our boy, EO. Yo! Um, those are the three films that I would give a 10 out of 10 so far. Um, all three are going to be among my favorite of the year. All three are going to be among my favorite of the festival. Uh, but I can't wait to give you guys rundowns on every single film I've seen before and during the festival uh, in two weeks because I will do, like I said, I'll do like a, a 30 second speed round for every single movie where I give you like a two sentence review. Yeah, that's gonna be a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward to hearing your stuff. We can play some of the games in there too. Like we get that one like, oh, what's like your best actor from the festival? What's your movie that you felt like you were fighting the urge to sleep? Which one did you walk out Dude, on? Which one at, were you most excited as well? Yada? Like, we could even do, like, a full Oscars breakdown where I'm like, oh, yeah, these are my five best actor. These are my yeah. five best actress. Like, I'm I'm down to do that. That's, like, that's the type of stuff that I love every single year. So, um, you know what? After seeing, like, tw uh, probably about 80 movies uh, by next week, uh, I'll have enough ammo to, like, do a full Oscar ceremony with. I mean... That sounds like my dream. I know everyone out there listening, they're, they're so jealous. I'm jealous. And speaking of making their full Oscar lineup, let's dive into some of our predictions because this week we have three categories as always, and these ones correlate with stuff that happened this week. I'm going to kick things off with Best Director. And you know why? Because Bardo is not in my five anymore. But bye Alejandro Gonzalez in your two. He's still there at number 10, but that's just because I want him there. He's not in the top 10 mm -hmm. anymore. Just I want him in my top 10. So that means everyone moves up. That includes Florian Zeller for The Sun at number nine, Maria Schrader for She Said at eight, Daniels for Everything Ever All at Once at number seven, almost in my five. Sam Mendes Dude, for Empire in your Light five. at number six. I really want to put Sam Mendes in my top five. I don't know who to take out because Sam Mendes is getting that award at TIFF. That feels like he should be here, but at this moment, without seeing any from Babylon, I can't take out Chazelle. Steven Spielberg seems like a lock. I have Avatar winning pictures, so Cameron has to be here. Sarah Polly's definitely in, probably. And they need that international appeal, so that's where Ruben Oslin for Triangle of Sadness at my number five slot is. So you've seen my top five, Matt. I know that you're kind of upset with no Daniels here, and you don't agree with James Cameron being at number one. But and but I've mm. kicked out Inuri two for Bardo, so you got to appreciate at least a little bit of what I did. Two words for you, Todd Field. Mm-hmm. 
Todd Field. Um, I mean, okay, I'll go through. I I disagree, but I respect you for having James Cameron at number one. Um, I do think James Cameron is inching up personally because, you know, we're having other contenders drop out, and he is going to deliver such a spectacle. Uh, I respect your conviction, man. I, I do. I really do. I am not thinking it's happening, but I respect it. Um, I feel like Spielberg, Chazelle, Polly, those three, very safe. Now, I would personally have Daniels in here. I know that a lot of people wouldn't. I don't fully understand why people don't have Daniels in, because that's such a director-heavy movie. I know people are going to say, ooh, it's more of a screenplay movie. No, that is a director-heavy movie. That is a movie that lives and dies on what the directors are doing. Uh, and that's why I feel very confident with it. Now, with Sam Mendes, yeah, he could make it into the top five. I'm still not feeling like Empire of Light is going to be like, Stronger than the Fablemans, stronger than Babylon. Like, if we're not talking three movie movies getting into best director. I can see them all getting to picture, but not director. And, you know, Ruben Ostlund being here. I love it. I love Ruben Ostlund. I love Triangle of Sadness. Um, but you know what? If, if I'm going with one artsy pick right now, and this might change. This might change. I might go back to Ruben Ostlund because... I know what you did here, which is you swapped Inyera 2 for Ruben Ostlund. Exactly. Right? Because, because that's the artsy, like, foreign pick that's dropped out, right? Mm-hmm. I think Todd Field and Tar can take that spot. Uh, and the reason I think that is because, uh, well, for one thing, I'm pretty sure Tar is a German co-production. Um, pretty sure. I'm not 100% on that. Um, but I also think that that film is the type of film that's going to really appeal to um, the European branch of the Academy. So, I don't know. I um, I would put Todd Field there instead of Ruben Ostlund, and I would put Daniels there instead of James Cameron, but I respect you. I respect I respect the uh, the James Cameron pick, but I disagree. Here, I'll, I'll, give, I'll give a little fight back there for James Cameron here. I can't see a world where Spielberg wins. I can't see a world where Chazelle wins, and I don't really see a world where Sarah Polly wins director either. Or not Sarah Polly, I mean Mendez. Mm-hmm. I don't see either of them winning because, I mean, Spielberg, I mean, yes, but I think if they're going to reward him for Fablements, it's going to be for screenplay. Chazelle Zard just kind of just mm. won. I don't know if he's going to win that quick again. And Sam Mendez, I feel like if he's going to win, that. I agree. Sam Mendez was going to win for 1917. I don't feel like he's going to totally outdo agree. himself here. So that leaves me with Sarah Polly for Women Talking, which, I mean, I feel like she wins of this as a picture top three. But at the same time, I don't feel like Women Talking at the end of the day is going to be a picture top three. I feel like it's one of those, like, when you see when we get to my list, it is at number three. But it's there because I feel like it's very confidently going to be nominated. I don't know if this will be, at the end of the day, like, how we say there's a top one, top two every year. I don't know if Women Talking is going to be top one or top two. Oslin, as you mentioned, Triangle of Sadness is a weird movie. I don't feel like he, I feel like he's very much... A um another round Thomas Venterberg where he's there but he's not really there sort of thing where like the, the nomination is the win so that brings me to Daniels James Cameron who do I think is gonna win I'm gonna go with the one for picture because yes Sarah Polly could win or yes Daniels could get the trifecta of picture screenplay and director but I don't know just feeling this far out in September before we have screenings of Fablements before we have Babylon screenings I just don't see. Chazelle winning so soon again. I don't see Spielberg getting the win for this. I feel like if Spielberg's going to win another directing Oscar, he's got to do something like spectacle-like. 
Like, I think last year he technically should have won for um, West Side Story. Obviously, he didn't because just the power for Power of the Dog was just too much to overcome. And I feel like, I don't know, that's how I at least I think when I'm, like, thinking of stuff. It's like, okay, what did they just lose for? And how close were they? Don't they have to outdo themselves there to win? And I mean, at least to me, Fableman seems very much like a um, Belfast issue where, yes, it's going to be a player for a picture, director, screenplay. But it's very much going to be a screenplay movie with an actor that has a very solid shot to win. While with Belfast, uh, they ultimately did not get all the way. Fablemans, I'm feeling like Michelle Williams can go all the way for supporting actors. I don't know. That's the end of my director rant. I know that we have a lot of stuff still to get through here. I know you're up for score. And speaking of Fablemans, that looks like it's your number one. I mean, I, I'm, I'm just going to go back to director here, though. Because I, I want to I go over one thing there, which is your Spielberg take. And... I, I, I actually very much I I think I really disagree with the the Spielberg can't win here because he has to do something spectacular because I mean what did he first win best director for it was it was Schindler's List mm-hmm. which is not much of a spectacle it's not a blockbuster movie that's a, a very intimate sad movie he did win for a spectacle which was uh, Saving Private Ryan but keep in mind Spielberg has two Oscars he has not won an Oscar since. Uh, 1998 that is one entire mat since he has uh, won an Oscar um, that is a, uh, I mean I'm not that old it's kind of a long time uh, and the way I see it is they're going to want to award Spielberg one more time and where are they going to award him as a screenwriter he doesn't write his own movies this is like the first movie that he's made that he has written um, so why would they give him a screenwriting prize? I get that they're, that Tony Kushner has never won. I think that they can give Tony Kushner a different one, um, especially because this is the year of everything, everywhere, all at once. Uh, and if I see where the prizes are going, I mean, there's, there's three paths to best picture and it's best director, original screenplay and adapted screenplay. And I see adapted screenplay goes to women talking. Sarah Pauly can't win director. It's not that type of movie, but she can win adapted screenplay. Everything Everywhere All at Once, that can win original screenplay. The Fablemans, that can win director. And the reason I think so is because you've got this massively respected director making a movie about himself, making a movie telling the story of, you've seen my movies, now this is the person behind it all. He's peeling back uh, everything. He's peeling back uh, the facade of his movies. And the way that the, the TIFF program describes the Fablemans. I'll be able to say more in about a week's time, but the way that it describes it is by saying that the film starts out with a level of spectacle because the movies that he's making, this is a kid who's looking for the new gear, who's making these movies. And I think that a really cool directorial choice and something that I I would see Spielberg doing is showing the movies that he was making in his head the movies that he was trying to make. I think that there's going to be spectacle in this movie. I think that there's going to be everything. I think that this is going to be the definitive Spielberg movie. It might not be the best, but I think he's going to do everything he's ever been known for. Um, so you know what? I really, really think that this... I think that Spielberg's going to win, and I, I don't think he needs to make something like Jaws to, to mm-hmm. win again. Uh, if, if he wins, it's going to be director. Uh, he's not known as a writer. He's known as a director. 
And I think that this is the movie to do it. I think that he's also just having West Side Story. People are going to go, oh, that was good. Why didn't we give that the award? And this year, they're going to give it to him. Like you said, Chazelle, he won two recently. Uh, Polly, it's not, it's not enough. If Mendez won, it was going to be for 1917. Um, Daniels, too new. You know, to me, it's Spielberg all the way. I mean, like you said, prove me wrong in a week. Tell me that Spielberg made the best director of the year, and then I will switch over. But we had that. We got two weeks. I got two weeks left of keeping Spielberg out of number one. And then who knows? Maybe I'll switch. In a category, I haven't really done much work on this year because we haven't heard a lot of the scores. But you have your first rankings of the year for it's best original score. So let's hear your lineup as of September first. Absolutely. So, um, I mean, yes, like you said, we haven't heard the scores. So a lot of this is going off of trailer music. Uh, and it's also going off of um, just vibes. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, for one thing, uh, The Fablemans is going to be the second last uh, movie that John Williams is ever going to score. Uh, he's retiring very, very soon. Uh, and he's retiring after he does The Fablemans. And is he doing Imp- Indiana Jones 5? I do is not know. Last? I heard somewhere that Fablemans was his last, but... I don't know. I, they didn't source anything there. They just said that this would be their last chance to award. So maybe maybe Indy is the last one, and they were just saying, like, oh, Fablemans is the last chance to award, but he still had another one. Well, regardless, he's, I mean, he's John Williams. Mm-hmm. Unless this score is just, like, not great. Which, why would why would John Williams not go out with a bang? This is going to be an incredible score. It's It's got to be number one. It's got to be number one. Um sight unseen we haven't heard anything it's still got to be number one uh then after that i've got pinocchio uh i mean i don't think Displot can win but we've heard some of the music it's been in the trailer and it sounds good it sounds really good um the pinocchio music is i can see this being a score that i put on my best of the year playlist just over and over and over uh it sounds so gorgeous it sounds so magical it feels like it captures the essence of the fairy tale uh, then at number three, I've got Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross in Empire of Light. Uh, we've also heard some of this score in the trailer for Empire of Light, and it sounds good. It sounds really good. Uh, this sounds like some of their best work. It, I think that this could go up alongside the social network. Do I see them winning just after they won for Soul? No, but it's good, and I think that this definitely will be in the conversation, especially as Empire of Light is. Then we've got Babylon. Uh, Babylon, Justin Hurwitz, do I see him taking another award? No, I mean, he, he won for La La Land. But this movie kind of has to get nominated. There's going to be so much music in it, and I really, I feel very, uh, very, very strong. Now, he did miss for First Man, but Babylon is going to be a stronger contender overall than First Man. And finally, uh, in number five, I've got Women Talking, Hilder... I'm not going to remember the Icelandic last name. Let's just say Hildur. Hildur uh, G. She just won an award. Yeah, Hildur G. Uh, she just won an award at TIFF, which is great. That's a great indicator that she's going places with this. Um, I mean, she also has Tar this year. I've got Tar somewhere in my top ten, but apparently there's not a whole lot of original music in Tar. Apparently the score is very sparse, which is interesting because the film is about a composer. But I think that a lot of Hilder's work is in writing uh, the music that 
Kate Blanchett is playing, that Kate Blanchett is composing. Um, I don't think that a lot of that's going to be in score, which might make voters go, hmm. But we didn't like hear a lot of score, even if the work that she's doing is like on screen. It's all over the place. Yeah. I don't think that we're we're gonna like hear it directly as a score, so that could hurt it. Other contenders I see though. I think the Batman could still make it. Um, I do think Black Panther: Wakanda Forever still could make it. Um, Everything Everywhere All at Once has a chance. That's not the strongest part of the film. Uh, Avatar The Way of Water uh, is going to be interesting to see how they deal with James Horner's passing because he made such an iconic score for the first one. Uh, As well, I think that Decision to Leave has a shot in score. And as much as the film doesn't have much of a shot, I think that Don't Worry Darling still could make it in score. Uh, But yeah, at this point, I feel pretty solid about Women Talking, Babylon, Empire of Light, Pinocchio, and The Fablemans. Uh, I think all of those are really set to have some great music going for them. Um, And if I had to drop one of those, I'd probably drop Babylon. Again, Hurwitz is not always guaranteed, and we haven't even seen anything from uh, from Babylon. So who knows? Maybe it doesn't even have a whole lot of original music. Uh, And if so, I think the Batman takes the spot, um, because then we'd have... Women Talking, The Batman, Empire of Light, Pinocchio, Fablemans. That's that's a, a very good lineup, uh, if I'm being honest. Yeah, I really like your top six. Your top six is my top six. We just have things a little bit out of order. I have two questions, though, before we talk about that a little further. I know that you've um, tried watching Decision to Leave. Have you heard it score from like the time that you attempted to watch with the uh, the subs being a little I have. off? No, I, I've act- I have seen Decision to Leave. Okay. Um, I've watched the whole film. Uh the score is great. The score is one of the best parts of the movie. The music is really good. I think that that's something that I feel with every Park Chan-wook movie is no matter how um, no matter how good the movie is, which most Park Chan-wook movies are, are incredible, the score is always great. And I'd say that um, I'd put the score right, not right beside Old Boy, but pretty close to Old Boy uh, in terms of like pure goodness of music. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm definitely a fan of this, uh, this score. Um, the movie, I'd like to, but uh, I don't know. If Decision to Leave has a shot anywhere, uh, I think it would be probably not score, but um, I'd love to see it get a score nomination, so I have to mention it. And then my second question was, do you know who is um, scoring Don't Worry Darling? Yes. Um, why can't I remember his name? He's the guy who did How to Train Your Dragon, John Powell. Okay, cool. Those are my two questions there. But yeah, for your top six, uh, we have the same top six, different order. We both have Fablemans at one. As you mentioned, John Williams going out with a bang. Um, like you mentioned about awarding Spielberg, I think they'll award John Williams. And who knows, this could be the year of just giving Spielberg's boys their last award. So Spielberg for director, Williams for score, Kushner for screenplay. It could just, it could just get the whole slate. Um, my number two at the moment is Empire of Light. Uh, while I don't think they will win again, Reznor and Ross um, just arguably were number one and number two the last time they went out and they were competing with themselves with Soul and Mank in 2020. And here with Empire of Light, um, I think they'll be number two just again and arguably battling for one. Just, you know, John Williams, you kind of got to give him one on the way out. But who knows? Crazier things have happened. Um, then that leaves us with number three, which is where I have Babylon. I feel like Babylon is one of those where it could either be one two or it could be like eight nine 
Uh, we've seen before Justin Hurwitz, as you mentioned, is not perfect. Uh, even if his scores are, first name is one of the best scores of its year, it still missed out because that movie suffered. And I think it really comes down to Babylon. A Babylon's a real player, scores coming along. A Babylon's not a player, scores left in the dust. That would allow for one of Hilder's movies to get in, whether it's Women Talking or Tar. I agree, it's probably Women Talking because that's a bigger Best Picture player. But who knows? They could go for more of the the specialty score. Usually, the, the original score nominees are pretty inspired. Usually, some of the most of any category at the Oscars. And at number five, at least for me, um, would be the Batman. I have Hilder at number uh, six at the moment with both of those battling out. I think one of them could get in, but I think that would either need Babylon the Fall or Pinocchio not to be the player that we think it is because I have Pinocchio at number four for me. I, I jumped over that before. but So my ranking would be Fab uh, Fableman's Empire, Babylon, Pinocchio, Batman with both Hilder's scores at number six. Kind of like Johnny Greenwood last year. He's got multiple. Which one gets the push? And once we see the push, probably it'll move into my top five, but by then maybe we've heard more from Pinocchio or from Babylon to be able to be like, okay, are these full-out contenders, or is it just going to be like the trailer music for Pinocchio, or is it, or is Babylon not really the score player that we thought it would be? Because, like, I don't know. Mank got in, and I feel like Babylon's probably going to have a kind of similar score to make, even though it's someone different. So I guess we'll see. Mm -hmm. All right, now let's move right over. Let's bring it home. Uh, you've got your best picture list this week, and I know that there's some big changes right here. Uh, there so is. What do you what do you got for us? So if people could see my screen, they would see a lot of green because a lot of movies have moved up. Because my number th three, my yeah, my number two movie actually dropped all the way down to number ten, and that is Bardo. Uh, should it be at number ten? Ooh, only number ten. Should only it be at number ten? Yeah. Should it only be at number ten? Should 10? not be at number. Probably <laughs> not. But for the moment, I'm keeping it there because. I want to see more than 10. I want a, I want a bigger slate because who knows? The 10 people who put them up could be 9 of the 10 negative, most negative people in the world for Bardo. As I mentioned, one of those 10 was a 100. Will they all be 100s? No. But who knows? It could be a lot more more divided than we've, what we've heard. Like the Jojo Rabbit situation where like when you're in the room, it seems like people love this. But when you get out, you see one negative review. That becomes a second. That becomes a third. And people are like, oh, everyone hates this movie. So I got to hate it, even though secretly I really like this movie. Well, I think... Do I think that's going to be what Bardo is? Probably not. But until I see a wider array, especially when it has its Telluride premiere um, or Telluride screening, that would be more eyes on it. I think Bardo is going to be one of those movies that's going to go up. I don't think it's going to stay as low as it is. Then that brings us to my numbers two through nine, which all get to move up a spot because of Bardo dropping. I had the sun at number nine. I mentioned earlier, I don't feel great about the sun being number nine, but with Bardo dropping, where she said that still on my outside, just like, I don't know. I need I need to see something from this movie that proves that it should be in my 10. It's sitting out. Knives Out, on the other hand, is number 11. I really want to put this in, but until it has its TIFF premiere and when I see it gets top three at TIFF, if it gets top three, it's in at number 10. Until it gets not top, like, until the top three is secured, I have it out. And if it misses top three at TIFF, it's not making picture. That's going to be my, my stance with this movie. If it gets top three, it probably is in. If it's number two, it's in. If it's number one, it's in. Um... And it's in with a chance to win screenplay if it wins TIFF. Um, so that brings us to number eight. That's Elvis. Uh, should it be at this high? A lot of people would say no. I would say yes. It's my best actor winner. And with the trend of best actor winners going all the way back to Forrest Whitaker, it has to be in picture. That brings us to Empire Lad at seven. This one, as I mentioned, the last time I did my best picture lineup is one that just keeps rising up. 
eventually it's going to fall. I think it's going to hit its peak around number five, six, seven, kind of where it's at now. I don't see this winning director. I don't see this winning screenplay. I don't see it winning actress. I don't see it winning supporting actor or lead actor. It's not going to have any above the line wins, but it's going to be one of those movies that just shows up everywhere. And it may not win much, but it's there. And when it's there that much, it's got to be in your tent. That brings me to the movie that everyone loves at the moment, Top Gun Maverick. This could be Paramount's real push at the end of the year. Babylon is not what we think it's going to be. If Babylon falters because whether it's its rating, its runtime, its its subject, whatever it is, Top Gun Maverick has a real shot to be the populist movie of the year. While I have another populist movie higher, Top Gun is the consensus populist pick at the moment. Which brings us to Paramount's other movie, Babylon, at five, as I've mentioned every week. It's here until I'm proven otherwise. It's not going to be any higher, but it's not going to go any lower than where it's at. Four is The Fablemans. I'm not as high on this movie as everyone else is. As we've mentioned before, I'm higher than I was on it, but I still don't have it winning uh, director. I still don't have it winning screenplay, but it's number two in both of those. So if it's number two, it's got to be top five. Everything Ever All At Once keeps rising up. Number three, um, that's in part to Bardo Falling. That's in part to me not being as high on Fablemans as Babylon, but it's here. It's top three. I have it winning screenplay. I have it number two in Actress. I have it getting editing nominations. I have it just everywhere. So it's here. And the Women Talking is my runner-up. While I don't think it's the actual run-up to win picture, it's the movie I feel the most safe about getting nominated at this moment. So that's my number two. And number one's a movie who I'm not really confident in getting nominated for picture. But I feel like if it does get nominated, it's got a good shot to win. And that's Avatar The Way of Water. It correlates with my Best Director winner. It correlates with my Cinematography winner, my VFX winner, my Editing winner. All of them go together. For this category and i feel like once i move avatar off of number one eventually because i don't know if it will stay here all season long that's when a lot of other categories will switch up for me because who knows bardo could be that movie that's just a cinematography player and nothing else uh top gun maverick could be the sound editing tandem winner and not avatar um the director could be spielberg it could be the daniels it could be sarah polly it could be anyone who knows at this point and i don't feel great about my 10 as i have in the past like Asked me two weeks ago, I felt really strong in my 10, which is like, I don't know what to do with the sun, knives out, she said at number 10. Now, I don't know. I feel really good about my top six, but Empire of Light, Elvis, the sun, Bardo, knives out, she said, all sitting there, seven to 12, I don't really know what to do with. And then just outside to end this ramble, I have Tara at 13. I still think this is going to be a Spencer, but those reviews really raised it back up for me. I need to see more eyes laid on this movie because yes, this movie was made for Venice. How does this movie play somewhere that's not Venice? Because like you said last year, Spencer had really good Venice reviews. Once more eyes got on it, it dropped, and it dropped hard. And I feel like Tar could be the same thing. Banshees is at number 14. If Empire falters, Banshees rises. I want to dance with somebody who's at 15. I don't think this is going to be in the picture, but I feel like it's going to be in that next slot of 10 that's just outside. And Triangle of Sadness moves a little bit more down my slide after hearing what you had to say about it the last time that we talked. It's still one I feel like has a has a avenue to picture, but I don't I think this will be another round where it misses picture, but it gets that director and that international or Triangle of Sadness won't get the international, but it gets that director yeah. from an international director. Okay, uh, I mean, very interesting. Um I'm trying to think of where to start here. I know and it's for a one mess. Thing, <laughs> Uh, you mentioned that uh, you're going to take the sun out if it doesn't get top three at TIFF. No, the, I was talking about Glass Party. Onion for TIFF. Oh, like, Glass Onion. Glass Onion makes my, my list of its top ten, and then it's winning screenplay of its top one. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, well, 
get prepared to put not, uh, Glass Onion in your top 10, whether or not it makes it a tiff, because it's about to be Netflix's only big push. So. Yeah. I'm still holding out with Bardo. I, I have to. I have to for the team. The team of Destiny I mean, needs Bardo. That's that's me with Pinocchio, right? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sitting here going, oh, Netflix is going to push Pinocchio eventually. Yeah, they're, they're going to push you, Pinocchio you wanna, eventually. Just trust me. Trust me. Just trust me. They're going to push Pinocchio eventually. But, uh, I mean, I think... I mean, I'm in the same boat as you with Bardo. I want it to be good. I have not taken it out of my top 20, but I've taken it out of my top 10. I think I've got it at number 19 right now. Big drop. So it's a big drop, but uh, I I think next week you're probably going to have to take it out of your top 10 uh, and just admit admit defeat there. Um, Could it still happen? I'm not going to say it can't happen, but... Uh, I I think that we're going to see a huge shift to Glass Onion coming up very, very soon. Um, Otherwise, I I just realized, you said you don't have Top Gun as your editing sound winner? I don't, and that goes to my avatar dominance. I know, I know, but... I'm. I gotta hold true. I gotta. If I don't have Avatar winning sound and editing, can I really have it winning picture? You can because um, the last time a movie won editing and picture was Argo in twenty twelve. So those two don't correlate a lot. So honestly, it might even be a better thing if Avatar doesn't have editing to win picture because there's no way that anything but Top Gun wins editing and sound. Actually, everything ever all at once could win editing, but Top Gun's taking sound no matter what. Mm-hmm. Good, good points, good points. I don't know. I have a lot to do with my September rankings. I haven't done them all yet. I did the ones for the show today, but I haven't gone through and done everything yet just because how much has happened just in the last 24 hours. I was oh, yeah. originally thinking of waiting until the end of Venice, but I don't know. Because tell you what happens, and the TIFF happens. And then at that point, you're like, oh, whatever I just had is completely out the window, and... That's the uh, beauty of the season that we're in now. We're done with the, the lulls. We're done with just like having the same stuff. You're just switching because you don't want to be complacent. Now you have reasons to switch. And mm-hmm. to what you mentioned about Bardo, yeah, next week it's probably out of my 10. I'm holding on to Telluride, though. Telluride could save this movie. But if Telluride gives it the mm-hmm. same reception, I'm, Bardo's gone. Bardo's probably out of my top 20 at that point. But uh, I'm, I'm giving it one more week. I'm giving it until it's Telluride premiere. And once Telluride happens, that solidifies, am I still believing in Bardo? Or am I completely giving up? And at that point, I may even give up an international until your ride drops in. Well, hopefully next week uh, at next week on the show, hopefully I'm uh, really banking on you getting some people on here who have seen Tar, who have seen Bardo, uh, who have seen some of these films, who can weigh in and tell you: uh, Is Tar Spencer? Is Bardo uh, out of it, or is it you know better than people are saying? Mm-hmm. We're going to see. Again, we've got connections at Venice. We've got connections at Telluride. Uh, so hopefully next week you can get some of those answers that you're desperately needing. And uh, hopefully that will adjust your best picture ranking. It could. And, I mean, next week I think you have something a little bit more exciting coming for you. you got Tiff. you got 56, which, once again, is higher than Bardo's critical score at the moment. So you're going to see more movies than Bardo could even get points on the board. So that could just be the sign in itself to just axe Bardo now. We've had a really jam-packed episode, but like always, we really appreciate you guys being here, listening in. Award season is just getting started, and we have a very, very long way to go on here. Uh, So thank you so much for joining us, and as always, I'm Matt. 
And I'm Dill, and this is Fancy Film Ball. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Fancy Film Ball with Matt and Dill. Keep up to date with us on Twitter at FFilmBall. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you prefer to listen to podcasts. We even upload a video format of the podcast to YouTube if you want to see our faces. Thank you for listening to this episode of the show, and come back next week.